Hola, buongiorno, konnichiwa, and hello. My name is Primetime. And I'm Sonny D. And you're listening to Wrestling with PTSD. Yo! Welcome back. It's your boy, Primetime. And Sonny D. Uh, Right now, you're listening to uh, Wrestling with PTSD. Uh, Right now, we just want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in Thank you. Uh, It's a big thing for us. Last week was our first episode. Uh, we all had a couple of butterflies down there. We finally got out of the way. Uh, we're definitely uh, going to thank a lot of people out there who uh, tuned in last week, who definitely gave us a share, a like, uh, gave any type of recommendations on what we can do better. Thank you for that. D, uh, I, I know that you have a list of things that you want to say thank you for, especially with people out there listening. Yes, I want to say thank you to everybody who supported us. We really appreciate it. To get the reviews and the reaction that we got and the amount of listens to just for one episode was tremendous for us. And it means so much to us. We got an ad sponsorship. Um, we, we've we got picked up by six different platforms that you could find wrestling with PTSD on. And uh, I want to thank everybody for just helping us out. You help us out more and you'll be getting continual episodes weekly by your boy primetime and, and sunny D. D. And, That's it. uh you know uh just again just a like a share uh just say hey just tune in give us a little bit of a recommendation to anyone who's into wrestling that'll be definitely be good uh also uh a big shout out to everyone uh, again for our families who uh, supported us especially with yes all the wrestling that we put them through especially with wrestlemania going on uh such a big wrestling thing going on and uh and Again, baby, thank you, uh, everyone who's helping us out with the shares and everything. I actually um, had some non-wrestling fans listen to the show, and they were uh, pleasantly surprised, and they liked it because they didn't have to listen to wrestling. It was a biographical topic that everybody enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So um, before we get into today's show, I want to talk about PTSD in itself. It is not a joke. And as I said, we take it very seriously. We are not making light of the situation. It just happens to be our initials, PT, Primetime, and Sunny DSD. So if you are are suffering from PTSD, please do not uh, hesitate to find help. There's plenty of platforms out there so you could find help for PTSD. Definitely. And one of them, what you can do is uh, we have a number here at 877 726-4727. This is the hotline that is available between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern time to provide any type of mental health information or any type of treatment referral. You can definitely give them a call. Again, that's 877-726-4727. Again, if you are suffering from any type of PTSD, we do take it seriously over there. So if you like, give them a call. They will assist you with anything, any type of treatment that you need as well. All right. With that being said, with that being said, I should say, let's get to it. Let's do it. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the Montreal Screwjob. And when I say this is one of the biggest, most infamous, uh, controversial wrestling event in the history of wrestling, uh, I'm just going to say this right now. You've been living under a rock if you don't know about this, uh, because this right here changed wrestling history forever. Some people call it a shoot. Some people call it a work. But we will get into more detail on that. Yeah, I, it was big. I remember watching it live. I didn't expect what happened to what happened. And um, it was just amazing. Like, I remember watching it and they talk about how this was Bret Hart's last match. And it's just so weird to think of at the time, WWE without Bret Hart. You know, he was mm-hmm. just such a, a fixture in the organization, you know. 
what are your thoughts on that and what you remember? Uh, definitely, this is one of the biggest wrestling things I remember because when I was a, this is when I was a kid. Uh, I'm going to say I didn't know what wrestling backstage pol- politics was. Uh, so I was just tuning in watching wrestling. So it was two of the biggest people. At this point in time, I didn't know that Bret Hart was leaving the company because, again, we didn't have social media back then. So you only knew certain things that were going on. And again, this is one of the hottest times in wrestling because people were going back and forth from WCW to WWE or WWF at the time. And having these two uh, big names going at it at one time and then what, what, what happened at that point in time uh, which changed wrestling history. Again, a lot of people call it a shoot. Some people call it a work. But uh, at this point in time, we still don't even know. <laughs> All right. So, everybody, I want you to have a seat. Crack one open if you're not driving. Light one up if you're hanging out. And enjoy. Now, when we talk about the screw job and the iconic Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, let's take it back to the beginnings of both these uh, legendary competitors' careers. In 1988, a new tag team burst onto the scene. It was Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, the Rockers. They were different from all the teams that they had already. Back in 1988, I know prime time, this is before your time. You were born in 1990. <laughs> Definitely before my time. I don't even think I've seen the Rockers uh, even tag yeah, okay. team. <laughs> okay, they were, they were in a time when you had tag teams like the British Bulldogs, Demolition, Power of Pain, just big hulking characters came these two smaller, quicker uh, wrestlers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. They were tag team specialists. They were smaller. They were high flyers. They were doing a lot of things that you didn't see until later on in, in wrestling, and they were way ahead of their time. Way, way ahead of their time. Yes, definitely way ahead of their time. Uh, tuning into some of their stuff uh, just recently and as well as a couple of years ago, finding information about the Rockers. Uh, they were definitely way ahead of the time, especially with like the flying outside the outside the ring, a lot of uh, acrobatics off the top rope. Uh, definitely uh, a lot of stylish things that they weren't doing at the time because, again, you said they had these hulking giants um, pretty much ruling over the world of professional wrestling at the time. Yeah, and um... – they were great. They were, like I said, they were double taxi specialists because at that time, nobody was doing tandem moves the way they were, and they made it look so fluid. Mm-hmm. And they have that iconic music that today's wrestling fans should know by now. It's just great. But now, on the other side of the same year, we had this tag team, the excellence of execution and the anvil, Bret Hart and Jim D'Anvil Nyhart better known as the Hart Foundation. <laughs> two, two characters in their own rights because uh, you had the Hart Foundation where you had Anvil, which was a big dude who was just physical, always rowdy, always pulling on his little, well, I don't even know what his little beard. Gold teeth. His gold teeth, yes. Uh, yeah. Just always laughing. And then you had Bret Hart, who was super serious, who was pretty much a technician, uh, one of the best. Not, not even at the time at his age and when he was with the Anvil, he was pretty much called one of the best tag teams at the time. Uh, yeah, excellence of execution. Exactly. And uh, just when they came out, there was a presence because, again, Bret Hart was always coming out the, out with his glasses on. Or even at the time, did he have the glasses at that point? Yeah, he had the glasses. And uh, Jim Nyhart, instead of Bret Hart uh, giving it to coming out and giving it to him, Jim Nyhart would do the Ed Norton flicking his hands, trying to get ready. And he would take the glasses off of Bret in the corner. Yeah. So I always enjoyed that. Definitely, definitely. And then that, that right there, I mean, that, that made them a tag team. And again, they were technicians. And when you had the Rockers going against uh, 
the Hart Foundation. It was two opposite, yet two perfect matches, uh, especially when they got together and wrestled. Yeah, you had the high-flying tandem of the Rockers, and then you had the technical masterpiece, the technician of Bret Hart and the power of Jim Neihardt. That it was, the way their style was was different, but they complemented each other so well. Yes, now, and that's making positive. Yes, sir. Now, in that same year that the Rockers came out in 1988, the Hart Foundation were reigning WWF Tag Team Champions, which they won from the British Bulldogs a year earlier in 1987. Now, let's take a side note on that. We brought up Jim Neihart. Did you know that he played for the one Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> from When you told me this fact before on our pre-production meeting, I was shocked. Uh, being a big Dallas Cowboy fan, and I don't even think uh, uh, my father even knows that, and he's a bigger Dallas Cowboy fan. So when he listens to this, I think he's pretty going to be shocked on that one too. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Alvarez. Dude. Now, okay, so the first meeting between these two teams, the Rockers and the Hart Foundation, was November 25th of 1989 in Madison Square Garden. MSG the most world's most famous uh, uh, arena, the Mecca, so many titles to it, but it's in New York City. Been there a couple of times, so, a beautiful site. Uh, I've never been to a wrestling event. Basketball, yes, never been to a wrestling, unfortunately. Yeah, one thing about Ma Madison Square Garden, because I've been there for a few uh, events, the way the seats are, no matter where you're at, you see perfectly. They're, mm -hmm. they're like on top of each other rather than staggered, you know? Yeah. Well. So, well, definitely going to have to catch up one of these wrestling events when all this is over. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like I said, November 25th was their first match. And both teams, it was slow-paced at first. And you could tell they were both feeling each other out. But uh, they were both face teams at the time. Which you never seen. And that match, yeah, and that match ended in a uh, no contest when both uh, teams just got in and started brawling and, and got rid of the re the referee counted to five and threw it out. Um <laughs> That, that, that night, the crowd was split between the two because, as I said, the Rockers, which was, uh, you know, two good-looking baby faces that the women loved, and then you had the Hart Foundation that they were the best, man. I, that Fantastic. team right there, I, I still haven't seen a team that had that combination that was so great. Never, especially with just being two complete opposites as well. Again, Anvil was that powerhouse, and then you have Bret Hart, who was just speed and technician. And always perfect. I mean, I can honestly say I've never seen a a bad Bret Hart match. Right. Yeah. The way uh, a Bret Hart's word, he said he was the Ferrari of the team while the Anvil was a tank. And I love that analogy that right there. A great comparison because, again, yeah. Ferrari was completely Bret Hart. And then him being a tank definitely <laughs> pretty much characterizes pretty much uh, Anvil at the time. <laughs> All right. So the next meeting was actually a singles match. On February 10th of 1990 on Wrestling Challenge, that Saturday morning, 11 o'clock TV show that we all saw after Saturday, uh, Saturday morning cartoons. Mm -hmm. Now, it was Bret Hart with Jim D'Anville Neidhart in his corner and Shawn Michaels with Marty Jannetty in his corner. Again, the match ended in a no contest or as we know today, a double DQ. Um, when Jannetty when came up and started hitting Bret Hart from outside the ring and, and the same thing with Anvil and Michaels. So they all started fighting and, and the referee threw it out. So that's two matches that they met each other. And there was no contest. At, uh, the no contest. And which, well, at that point in time, I mean, a no contest, I mean, which wrestling now, that probably would just pretty much continue. But back in the day, when you had two teams battling out like that, they would just pretty much call it out real quick just to give you a little bit of a taste. But you got to wait a little bit longer to tune in next week. So... They knew how to tease us at the time. 
All right, so then the next time that they they met each other was April 28th on uh, 1990 on uh, a taping of Saturday Night's main event. It was the Rockers versus the Hart Foundation. Now, in that match, the then champions at the time, Demolition, came out and were at ringside. And as the match went on, it lasted about 11 minutes. Demolition got involved when they all started brawling all together. And again, it was thrown out to a no contest. You know, this, you know, this was a time before triple threats and three-way dances, uh, as the ECW people would know about. Now, if there was never a, a perfect time for a, a triple threat tag team match, it would be with these three teams. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, three legendary teams, uh, especially for the time, uh, just to have them in one match. Again, this is one of those matches that I, I, I didn't get to see because of when I was born. Uh, it's one of those I do have to uh, tune into again, uh, especially not being at my time. But uh, it sounds like a great match. But we're just gonna uh, we're just gonna have to give to recommendation for you to see how good it was. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and for you who don't know, I'm ten years older than Prime Time. So when I was watching it, he was still in the womb. You know. Yeah. So it's it's. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We're two lifelong wrestler fans coming together. Now that's the third time they faced each other, with it ending in a draw. What are your thoughts on that? Well, with something like this, it is unfortunate because even now in wrestling, when you get one of those uh, just double disqualifications or not a clean finish, you want to complain about it. But again, this was something at the wrestling at time where it pretty much built more suspense so we can build it up for another another event, which was, I don't know, back then, a lot of wrestling events, they went for months, not like now where you'll get yeah. one match and then it's completely over and that's the end of it. Back then, they used to have like storylines completely up. There was, there was four pay-per-views at the time. It was Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. So if you think about that, all the time in between it was just stories, building programs and stuff like that. And um, my thoughts on that is maybe they'll just try to protect both the Rockers and the Hart Foundation because they were – such a great team. They were both great teams, so you know. Mm-hmm. And so it does make sense. Good. It does definitely does make sense, especially with them being up and coming teams, and uh, especially with every time they went out there, just even when they weren't wrestling each other, the crowd was always hot for both teams. All right, now, along with the demolition debacle, we're going to move to August twenty seventh of nineteen ninety. That was SummerSlam, and Demolition were the then champions. They were beaten by the Hart Foundation in a two out of three falls match with outside interference of Legion of Doom. Now, in this match, at this time, there was three demolitions, Axe, Smacks, and, and Crush. Now, they, they did back then what is known today as the twin magic. One would roll out and another one would come in. So to get the upper hand on their opponents, but the Legion of Doom, the legendary Legion of Doom, oh, I should gosh. say, came out and... They stopped that, and as it happened, the Hart Foundation became the reigning tag team champions. Which was pretty cool. I mean, I, I actually, uh, reading uh, up on this information, those are one of the matches that I pulled up on YouTube. And that was actually a really great match. And again, when the Legion of Doom came out, that pop for them was gigantic uh, because they were a big team back then. But uh, even bigger is when as soon as they, they pinned them, uh, that militia, the, the whole crowd went crazy. Everybody jumped crazy. up. Everybody jumped like, up. I, I, like, there's a lot of pops, but that's one of them that will definitely stick on mine, especially with the crowd. They went to the top ropes and had the belts, and everyone was going crazy. Now, have you ever seen a time when Legion Doom came out and there was no pop? Uh, no. <laughs> that never happened. Never. That, that team was so over. It was crazy. I used to love when they used to come out with their, uh, their football 
uh, football sets on with the spikes. With their pads, yeah, with their yeah, the, the spikes show the pads. Yeah, that yeah. was great. And then their their little keyword, oh, water rush when it played, yeah. everybody got hyped. It's like one of those, like the 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 mannerisms when Hawk would get on the top row and he would like start spazzing, sticking his tongue out, looking like a psycho. That was awesome. Great, and they, they were true life characters. That that's when wrestling was at its peak at one point in time as well, especially with them. Yes, that. and they they traveled a lot. They traveled everywhere. And that's something we'll be talking about in future episodes once we dedicate a show to the Legion of Doom. Uh, definitely, that's one of them that we uh, got uh, cooking up in the in the kitchen at the moment. Just stay tuned and keep tuning into wrestling with PTSD, and you're gonna hear about all your favorite uh, performers, past and present. So, with that being said, moving on. Now, here's a night that a lot of people don't know about: October 30th, 1990, in a match that was never aired, nor was it ever recognized by WWF. The Rockers defeated the Hart Foundation in a two out of three falls match. Um, the match. Well, it, the Rockers got the fall, first fall with a roll up, a Marty Jannetty rolled up, um, Bret Hart, and between the first and second fall, uh, Gennaro was thrown into the turnbuckle. He did a, a chest first spot, like he hit the, the turnbuckle with his chest, and he hit it so hard that the rope snapped. <laughs> it was it, it was crazy, and when that happened, the whole top rope came down and. Uh, watching the documentary uh, with the robberies between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, they were talking about this. And Bret Hart was in the corner. He said as soon as Anvil blew right into that uh, top rope and it exploded, uh, he knew that right there and then that the match was pretty much over because a lot of their offense at the time was pretty much needed the top rope. Because if you watch that match, uh, even watch any type of documentary, they talk about it. And he said he was pretty yeah. much disappointed because both teams – were like good friends at the time, and they they wanted to put on one of the best matches because it was at the time never heard of of like a tag team made inventing uh uh a satellites made event yeah something yeah you know something at like yeah. a, any type of an event tag team wrestling wasn't always the main event it was always one of the big guys you know and they said that a lot of the big guys actually stood after so they can watch this match and when that. That happened. He said it was a big disappointment. Bret Hart said it was one of his worst matches he had in his career, which was supposed to be one of the best matches. They were even saying this was supposed to be money of the uh, one of the matches of the year candidates and stuff like that at the time. With two teams like that, it was it, it should have been. Now it's funny. Uh, you could actually find this uh, match on DailyMotion.com, and I was watching today. There's no commentary to it, and when. Uh, Jim Nyhart crashes into the turnbuckle and it cra- and it breaks and he tags it Bret Hart. You can hear him cursing, like he is just flipping out. It is like I found that so hilarious when I was watching that. Yeah, uh, um, they, so, they, they definitely uh, added that onto the, the 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 documentary as well. He said that he was so pissed off that they even tried to get the ref in it because the ref didn't even know what to do at the time either because this is something that really rarely ever happened in professional wrestling. So they try to do everything on the fly without a top rope, and it ended horribly. <laughs> so the Rockers won that, the tag team championships that day, and they actually went on to a house show and defended the, the tag team titles against Paul Roma and Hercules Hernandez, known as Power and Glory at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, the next day, they were stripped of the titles through the uh, uh, because being that that match, at that Saturday night's main event, was an airable, so... They stripped them of the titles and they pretend that never happened. Uh, that that must be a shame, especially being the Rockers. 
uh, one of the biggest uh, tag teams at the time. Can you imagine winning the title and having such a horrible match that they don't air it and they take the titles off of you? And that's what I'm saying. It seems like that match was doomed from the start because when you're watching it, they introduce the Hart Foundation and they come out to their fanfare. And then Howard Finkels goes into announcing the Rockers and no music is played for a good 40 seconds. And it is just awkward. He, Shawn Michaels and Marty Chinetti, the Rockers. And then here they come. It's just, it's just silence. <laughs> it's silence. And it's a forty second. About forty seconds later, the music starts to play, and then they came out, and it was, it just that was like an omen right there. Yeah, it was doomed from the start, which which is unfortunate because again, we're we're gonna hit on this topic once again that these are two of the greatest tag teams in wrestling history, and for them for something like this to happen and just throw the whole match off was just a pretty much a huge disappointment for everyone. So, according to the record books, at this time it's three matches. Three disqual- uh, three no contest, okay? We're going to ignore that title match. Even though it should not be ignored, we're still going to ignore it, okay? We're going to fast forward to March 30th of 1991. Now, the Rockers again meet the Hart Foundation. At this time, it was a co-promoted show between SWS in Japan, known as the Super World of Sports, and, w- and WWF. And the, the show was called the WrestleFest. Now, it was a very different atmosphere at the time with the Japanese audience. Now, those who are familiar with New Japan very different. And, and how yeah, it's very different, how the, the audience is very quiet as a show of respect instead of them being rowdy, like <laughs> Americanized yeah. rowdy. Yeah. They, and they give their, their 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 smatterings of class when they see a big move, but they just they're quiet. And you, if you go back and watch it, you're like, wow, this is weird right here. How quiet they are. Yeah. Even to this day, like uh, watching some of the New Japan stuff like. It's definitely quiet throughout the whole thing. And then there's a big spot. They'll clap for like a good five, six, seven seconds, and it's quiet again. Not like right now in wrestling when something's going on. There's cameras going off. There's people uh, screaming, yelling. There's people even saying, you know, the FU chants in the crowd and stuff like that. But nope, in New Japan, everything's very respectful. It's two different atmospheres. So uh, the Hart Foundation actually got the win in that match. So... This is their fourth recorded match with the Hart Foundation winning one time. So we're going to fast forward. Okay, uh, Bret Hart and uh, Jim Neihart, they parted ways amicably. There was no tension. They actually never explained why they split up. There's a lot of rumors of why they did, but I'm not going to get into that because I can't confirm nor deny what was said about it. But one thing we know is that they did split up. Now, in uh, 1991, SummerSlam of 1991, in my opinion – this is one of the best matches in history. It was Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship at Madison Square Garden. What are your thoughts on that or memories? One of my personal favorite matches because, again, I am a tech, love technician wrestling, and it was Mr. Perfect and uh, Bret the Hitman Hart. And uh, at the time, uh, you couldn't get anything better. Uh, was this when uh, Perfect was hurt? Yeah, Perfect was in need of back surgery at this time. Yeah, and he, had he was, yeah, he was in so much pain, but out of respect to Bret Hart, he gave him one match. And to think about a man who needed back surgery and uh in the sharpshooter for him to <laughs> yeah, to to put and, and how badly that she, like Bret Hart, it looked like he was really breaking Mr. Perfect Mr. Perfect's back with that sharpshooter. And it was it was just one of the greatest matches of all times. I think I saw that match over twenty times. I'm not gonna lie, I love that match. Little little known fact: uh, there's this place called uh, Blockbuster uh, for these people who may be listening who are definitely younger than us. Uh, this is where you go pick up uh, wrestling videos, any type of movies at the time, 
And I remember uh, me and my dad, uh, we used to go to Blockbuster, pick up videos, and they had their own wrestling section. And I used to always get lost in that section for a good 10, 15 minutes. And that's one of the first VHSs I actually picked up was seeing Bret Hart winning, uh, beating Mr. Perfect uh, for the title. And again, that's one of the greatest moments, especially learning a lot of history after that, especially now knowing that Mr. Perfect was hurt. Uh, and it was one of the biggest uh, pops for Bret Hart, uh, especially winning that title, yes. especially being one of his first titles at the time outside of the tag team division was a big thing for him. And me being a Bret Hart fan, I went nuts. And uh, uh, also a little known fact, when I was younger, when uh, Bret Hart was, uh, you know, giving out the, t- uh, giving out the glasses, uh, I actually received one of those at Stable Arena. Uh, uh, I hate you. <laughs> yes, uh, it was one of the biggest moments because when we went up there, it was me, my father, my uncle, and my cousin. And we went out there, and I was a big Bret Hart fan. And my cousin, he's a big Shawn Michaels fan, so we always had this beef between each other. And I remember, do you remember when they had, like, the big air guns and they shoot out their shirts and stuff like that? The T-shirts, yeah. yeah. I remember we were front row, and he caught one. And I was so mad, and he was – so lucky because it was Shawn Michaels, and I was so mad. So I'm just like, you know, sitting there, and then the main event's coming on. It was Bret Hart, and I don't know who he was uh, wrestling against at the moment uh, since it's been such a long time. He came out, put those glasses on me. Dude, I swear to God, I carried those glasses everywhere, did not take them off. And yeah. I, I like it was one of those greatest moments because that was a big thing at the time. I do uh, when I when I got those, I was just like a, a kid in a candy store, biggest things in my yeah. life. <laughs> And uh, what was awesome about those glasses, they were always personalized. Bro Hart would autograph yes. them, put the date the date on it, and the name of the mm-hmm. arena. And that Now, let me ask you, do you still have those glasses? Uh, dude, uh, as many times as I moved, I think I had them up to maybe like high school, and then I lost them. So oh, they, they, uh, shout out to my mom who lives out there. You know, uh, if you can find those in one of those uh, totes I have with all that wrestling merchandise, <laughs> hit me up or you can mail them <laughs> to me because I need to add that on to my collection of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to fast forward to January 12th of 1992 on an episode of uh, Wrestling Challenge. Now, in an infamous and, and most arguably, uh, let me try that again. In an infamous and most arguably uh, iconic times in wrestling was the rocker split. Yeah. This was on um, Epic. The, the, the talk show of, uh, what was it? The Barbershop, Barbershop. hosted by... Hosted by Brutus the Barber Beefcake. What were your thoughts on that? Oh man, this 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 right here. This this is when everybody pretty much made comparisons of oh, you're the Marty Jannetty of the group, which is sad because <laughs> Marty Jannetty was a great wrestler. Don't get me wrong, but we all knew Shawn Michaels was the freaking star because he was a star. Just the way he looked, the things he did, and even on the microphone when they gave him some type of speaking, because Marty used to do all the talking. He shined through. and Yeah. I, I like this segment how when they came in, Marty came in all colorful. And Shawn Michaels came in all in black. Black cowboy boots. Black jeans. Jacket, leather jacket. Black leather jacket. He had that earring hanging off. It was The seeds were being planted for the heartbreak kid. And they even made reference to uh, Marty Jannetty says to him, you were too busy uh, flirting with the girls at ringside. And Shawn Michaels said, hey, the chicks dig me. So, like, that was just seeds being planted, you know? And what happened uh, at this moment, uh, it, it was great from when uh, – I don't want to spoil it for anyone. If, if you want to say something about it, Sunday, what's going on? Spoil it. Spoil it. What happened? So, well, in the, in the words of Bobby the Brain Heat and the coward jumping oh, in the window. Well, well, yeah, yeah. 
so what happened was Shawn Michaels, they shook hands, and then Shawn Michaels gave him the sweet chin music, oh, known as the crescent kick or the savat kick at the time. And then he picked him up, and he threw Marty through Janetti through a plate glass window. Now, for the time, that was violent. Yes. I remember being young, watching that, like, whoa. And Marty came out, and he was bleeding. He was busted open. And that was something you didn't see on, on free TV at the time. And as you said, that, that iconic line by Bobby the Brain, he didn't. Janetti tried to run away from Sean. He dove through the window. <laughs> what a coward. That was, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, 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 it, it didn't hit me when he said it, but just going back and watching it, man, it just makes me remember what kind of great commentator the brain he, was. He was a genius, and just that just put the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday when that all happened uh, because everyone was shocked. Uh, I, just, uh, I was shocked when I seen it because, uh, again, this was a something – I started watching wrestling probably when I was like one or two, and that's one of the things I still remember. And uh, just uh, uh, seeing that was just like, oh, my God. And again, this is what started Bret Hart. I mean, I'm sorry, Shawn Michaels to stardom, pretty much. Superstardom, like, uh, and then he uh, later on he got sensational Sherry. She went on the Brother Love Show, and um, she was telling about how she's in love with this man, and he's so sexy, and she loves him. And what happened? She was talking about Shawn Michaels, and that's how the Heartbreak Kid was born. And and fun fact, uh, if no one knew, uh, Shawn Michaels and her actually recorded his theme song at the time. She was the very first person to sing his theme song, and it was—it's so cheesy, but it's so great. Yeah. It's so it, great. It, it was great, uh, especially oh, oh, you know when that hit it. Sean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. you know it's one of those things that he was an arrogant—not uh, to say it lightly, but he was supposed to be an asshole because he was a heel. Yeah, he was a heel. He did it, yeah. and having her by uh, his side, you know, having a great manager to get you over—that's what she did. And she did because Sherry would only mess with the top guys. She was with Macho Man Randy Savage. She was with uh, the Million Dollar Man, top wrestlers. So with him being paired with Sensational Sherry, in my opinion, it boosted his stock tenfold Definitely. because of his association with her. Definitely. And she brought out a lot of his characteristics uh, as well, especially him being the sexy boy and her being all over him at the time. Which, all over yes, him. All the time. And that just built up his character, like you said. <laughs> And let me tell you, uh, while she was with them, she used to wear some provocative clothing. Yeah, yeah, and I never, I never looked at Sherry like that until when she got with him, and she had, she was showing a lot of skin, and I was like, whoa, (laughs) like I, you know, my my young hormones are going crazy looking at that. Like, whoa, look at this lady right here. It was, it was crazy. I looked at, I used to look at at, at sensational Sherry when she was the queen with Macho Man, (laughs) as like she's just this evil chick. But when she became with Shawn Michaels and became like a like like eye candy, it was different, you know. It was really different. Now, just nine days later, a lot of people don't know this is available on the on the Coliseum video. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on the WWE Network. Uh, it was called Smack 'Em Whack 'Em. <laughs> That's when uh, there was the very first ladder match in WWF history. A lot of people don't know about it. It was between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. What are your thoughts on that match? Man, uh, those are one of those I didn't even know about moments as well. Uh, I didn't actually know this was actually the first Intercontinental uh, uh, title or ladder match, correct? Uh, ladder match with the title? Yes, sir. It's for, it was the first uh, uh, title shot Shawn Michaels ever had. Yeah, and uh, just rewatched it uh, like you did, match before uh, when you send me all the notes and stuff. It is actually a great match. Uh, it, it is it a great match. It is a very great match again. Uh, for its time, it's not going to be like, oh, my God, high-flying, like Jeff Hardy dropping off the top rope, Edge doing some type of spear onto the another opponent. 
But for the time, that was very or iconic, or the kind of iconic match like Razor and Sean, oh. because a lot of people think that was the first match. Which, and as great as that was, it wasn't. I, I I thought it was honestly. I thought that was one of the the one of the the first wrestling matches that had a ladder. But no, I really thought that was, but it wasn't. It's not true. Uh, it definitely is Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. And seeing this, uh, again, this is another match where I believe he uh, Shawn Michaels lost, correct? Yeah, he lost this he match, lost yeah. He lost the match, but again, he was another star in this match because of what he was doing in the ring with the ladder, jumping out the ropes, uh, just uh, his forearms off the, off the ropes was great as well. Underrated, honestly. And, and, and he used it as a, a weapon, you know, and there's a lot of things you could do. I remember... He had uh, Bret Hart in the corner, and he started ramming him, and Gorilla Monsoon was, he's using it as a ramrod. That made me kind of laugh when he said that. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 another thing uh, off subject with something like this, Gorilla Monsoon is a very underrated commentary as well, uh, especially for the time, like I mentioned in our last episode uh, with Chris Benoit, uh, easy plug right there. Um, <laughs> uh, available in the archives of, of Wrestling with PTSD. <laughs> you know, you got to plug that in there. Uh, but uh, just – like we talked about Dusty, like he is a very underrated, he knew how to sell the crowd and uh, yeah. uh, certain things. And also uh, we had, I uh, remember uh, I was just mentioning how I got Bret Hart's glasses. They actually recorded that. And at one point in time, Gorilla Monsoon was uh, cracking on my father for being a, a too ratty of a fan when the camera came around when we got the VHS, it was great. Uh, it was gr- that's it, awesome. It was great. And again, this was like in the 90s. So maybe I was like six years old or something like that. It was great seeing yeah. that on there. And, and then the, the announcer's cracking jokes on it was great. Ho- hopefully we can find it and it'll be put on our Instagram or, so- or Twitter or Facebook pages if we do find it. That would be awesome right <laughs> I'll there. I'll definitely see if I can find that, especially with my dad's mustache. It was great. <laughs> now, the second meeting was on primetime wrestling. Not to be confused by primetime, but the host of Wrestling with PTSD. Boom. <laughs> so this was uh, a Monday night before Monday Night Raw. It was primetime wrestling. This was uh, April 29th, 1992. Um, Bret, Sh- Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels had their uh, intercontinental title match. Now, Shawn Michaels won this match by countout when he uh, slingshotted Bret out the ring and Bret landed on the, the guardrail. And it looked pretty good. He smacked himself pretty good. If if you have a chance to watch this, it looked like he really hurt himself on that. Yeah, he he's a definitely a great seller. Uh, I don't honestly, yeah. Bret Hart again was uh, a very great wrestler all around, and one of those things that he could do is like definitely sell something, especially like a punch or just type of any type of injury, which is really good on his side. Yeah, what I love is at the end of this match, Shawn Michaels grabbed the belt and he was raising it like he won until Howard Finkel uh, said. The only way a title could change hand is by pinfall or submission. <laughs> Therefore, still inter- and you just see his face when they, when uh, Howard Finkel introduces like announces Bret Hart is still the champion. It was so great. <clears throat> and his, now, his whole demeanor changed. Yeah, his whole demeanor just changed, uh, especially thinking he wanted the continental title yeah. just to get it yeah. back. And again, this was back in the day. A lot of people didn't really know the the rules of wrestling. If you really think about it. Uh, yeah, and yeah. this is one of them which is big nowadays. Like they'll tell you, like at the beginning of the match, you, you know, you, the title can't change on a count out or any type of disqualifications. But back then, a lot of people didn't know, so even the crowd was like, "What? What? Like what?" <laughs> and then they yeah. gave back the title to Brett, and again, that's something that yeah. again just kept on the rivalry between them is just that. That's again, that's something that started it as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, Brett Hart came in and snatched the belt, belt back. 
uh, gave Shawn Michaels a couple of punches. He powdered out like the chicken she heel, like he's supposed to do. And and that was that. Uh, fanfare for Bret Hart. Now, um, moving on. Okay, this is when Bret Hart, after he defeated Ric Flair for the World Wrestling Federation Championship in Saskatoon, he uh, was the champion. And again, on primetime wrestling, December 1st, 1993, it was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels in a steel cage match. Now, you know, th- this one... I, out of all the great matches they had, this one was okay. Like, it was oh, usually the same stuff. You know, it was just more of them trying to escape than putting on a good show. Now, how it ended was uh, they were both climbing out the ring at the same time, and Shawn Michaels got his leg hooked in the in the steel cage and fell backwards, and he was hanging, and Bret Hart was able to escape. That's reminiscent of the 1994 uh, SummerSlam where Bret Hart fought Owen Hart in a steel cage, oh. and, the, and it was the same feel. It was the same exact ending. Listen, so that right there is probably top top Bret Hart match, uh, right there with Owen Hart. That stage steel cage match will always be one of my favorites, just because again, it's Owen Hart. I, I love Owen. And just having brother versus brother rivalry is something else. And this this is one where everyone thought Brett was going to win, but he ended up losing. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Shawn Michaels is still becoming a a, a bigger um, superstar. You know, great heel. Everybody hated. He was a legitimate heel. People hated him. Brahart was still doing his thing. And a, a lot of people didn't like his character because his flamboyant look. The way yeah. he carried himself. A lot of people uh, used to actually call him outside of, uh, of his name and used to call him, you know, a different word for a gay man. And, yeah, they used to call him. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's crazy, especially uh, uh, at the time. Everyone thought at that point in time that wrestling again was real. Uh, this this was something big, and that's something that actually got him over and his character, especially uh, with the, the way the crowd used to uh, just go after him during his matches. And he used to play with it, too. He used to yeah. go along with it. He used to, you know, do the little, uh, you know, F you with the arm and, you know, just play the crowd. And he knew how to do it. Yeah, definitely. So um, Shawn Michaels, you know, he in 1995, he came in as number one and won the whole entire Royal Rumble. Um, he had his title match at, against Diesel in the WrestleMania 11. You know, Diesel won that. And we're just going to ignore all that. That's going to be another time, another topic. Let's take it to... Uh, Let's take it to where it's relevant to this podcast. So uh, January 21st, 1996, Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble. Now, the second he won, that's his second time he won the Royal Rumble, which was back-to-back. Before that was Hulk Hogan won three Rumbles in a row. Now, Shawn Michaels is the only one after Hogan who won two Rumbles. And then after that, uh, Steve Austin won three Rumbles, 97, 98, and I believe 99. That is correct, and... Uh, all those guys like uh, just win the rumble. Once you get that, that pretty much is like the gateway of your startup. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So Shawn, and this is after uh, Shawn Michaels. There was an incident where Shawn Michaels had to relinquish the the Intercontinental Championship to Dean Douglas because he was involved in a a scuffle at a bar in Syracuse, New York, with a, a few Marines. The number always changes. It's it's two Marines. It's four Marines. Six. It's nine Marines. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, you know, we're not here to to talk about rumors. We're just trying to give you everything that we know. So, oh, okay, you know what? This reminds me. During a match with Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart, Owen Hart gave after this concussion, he went through the through this uh, with the Marines. Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart were in a match where Owen Hart gave Shawn Michaels an insiguri, and uh, he passed out in the ring. Oh yeah, because he connected. 
yeah, a lot of people thought this was real. I thought it was real. Like yeah. it was the way they played, the way they played it off. Vince McMahon got off the headset and was around the ring, and he was looking distraught. They had ambulances taking him away. It was that was one of the best works I ever seen because it was it looked so real, and that caused a lot of people to gravitate towards Shawn Michaels with sympathy. Yeah, and it actually worked uh, because when he came back, that pretty much got him over. Yeah, and the, so he came. His first match back was the the 1996 Royal Rumble, and he won it. And uh, it was when he came out that the audience went crazy. Now this was '96 in WWF. It was a weird time. There was still in between get the Attitude Era and the uh, whole wrestling gimmick era, and um, yeah, it was a lot of characters. A lot of characters. So it was different uh diesel was slowly becoming kevin nash that we would grow to love when he was with the nwo you know um bret hart was becoming the the quote-unquote crybaby you know and it was just so great what are your thoughts or remembrance of the 1996 royal rumble uh it was great because uh was this the one that he came in as number one and won the whole thing? No, that was 1995. That was the year before. And that's when he pushed, uh, pre- uh, pushed uh, the bulldog, bulldog out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah the second, uh, I definitely remember that. The second one, uh, I do he, remember. He eliminated uh, Big Daddy Cool Diesel with a super kick at the end. Right out. Okay. Yes. I definitely remember yeah. that one. Um, but this is when, uh, again, uh, once you win the Royal Rumble, this is pretty much where your stardom begins. This is where they. Yeah, you're a top guy. Yeah. You're a top guy. That's just like uh, at one point in time, winning the Intercontinental title was pretty much, oh, yeah, this is, your, this is where it starts. But uh, when you win the Royal Rumble, this is definitely where you get pushed to the sky. Uh, but when Sean won this, uh, this got very interesting because this is when uh, Brett didn't have the title at the time, correct? <laughs> No, he did. He was actually the main event was Bret Hart versus The Undertaker. And uh, Undertaker was on the verge of winning, but Big Daddy Cool came in and interfered and got Undertaker disqualified. So that set up The Undertaker versus Diesel for WrestleMania 12. Um, Now, what what sticks out to me, and a lot of people don't know, this is the first Royal Rumble where whenever they count it down, that the entry music will play play as they came out. This is the first Royal Rumble that ever did it. Oh. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, before that, it was just the countdown, you know, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, you get the buzzer, and they'll just run out. Yeah. This one, they play the entrance music, which I brought. It, it just brought another dynamic to it. Because, you know, back then, when you hear the buzzer go off, mm-hmm. you would have to wait to see them running out to see who it was. And they'll announce them then. Yeah. Yeah, so, so when this came out, the music played, so you were – it just brought just – a lot of a better dynamic to it. Okay. Uh, and honestly, that's probably one of the best decisions they made because can you yeah. imagine now? Uh just no entrance music during the Rumble like the Royal Rumble. Like who the hell is this guy? <laughs> now, if you wanna uh imagine that, look at every Royal Rumble from ninety five back and you'll see what we're talking about. Now this right here is uh Bret Hart, I mean excuse me, Shawn Michaels winning the Royal Rumble set up another iconic match, the WrestleMania twelve, the Iron Man match. What are your thoughts on the build up to that and and just the build-up to the match. What are your thoughts on that? This build-up was spectacular, how they did everything uh, from uh, even before this. Like, the build-up even uh, when you – this, I think this was the time where you knew that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were actually going to come together and have a great match uh, yeah. because they were both stars at the time. And uh, you had Bret, who uh, at this point in time was uh, going away for a little bit to uh, star in that little show, the Cowboy Show. I forget what that was called at the moment. Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove. There you go. And that got canceled. Yeah. So we knew yeah. that uh, Brett was going to leave. And then they put on a hell of a match. 
uh, everything uh, from uh, the moves, from the they fighting outside, uh, from just everything, just the match itself, it just, it, it's what it's supposed to be. And a lot of people say this is one of the best matches they've ever seen because, again, you have two of the best technicians in the ring put on a great show, and we, we, we got what we needed. And at the end of the match, uh, just the photo of uh, Shawn Michaels holding that title, you know, that's an iconic look right there. And that was a, a still that they use to this day. They'll always show that. The now, what I remember, yeah, when uh, yeah, the boyhood dream has become a reality. They definitely now, remember that one. <laughs> I remember now the buildup of it. I remember they would show them working out. Like, Bret Hart was wrestling, like working out in this high tech gym, and and he was doing all these uh, like everything he worked out was high. Yeah, and then when they show Shawn Michaels training, he was old school doing push-ups, running tr- uh, stadium steps back and forth. Now this is when uh, they, they came out with the the um, music videos. This was popular. Shawn Michaels was uh, "Never Say Goodbye," and Bret Hart's was "You Start the Fire in Me." <laughs> and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to go relive this on YouTube. It was it was great for the time. It's so cheesy and laughable today. It, but um, it, it was. It, but <laughs> did you ever hear uh, Bret Hart's reaction to this? They said that he he felt like they were they they everyone they they were building up Shawn Michaels to win this so much that they pretty much like showed him as the old man going against a yeah. young rookie, and he was. Exactly. That's another thing that pretty much built up his rivalry because Bret was pissed about that. And, it was the I didn't know that, but I know it just like it just looked. He was wearing running high tech equipment, and he when he was running, he was like just gingerly running, like looked like he was not trying to sprain his ankle or anything. Exactly, and then you got uh, Shawn Michaels running up the football things and doing sprints yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it was great. It was such a great thing, you know. <laughs> it, it, before that, this happened, I was a Bret Hart fan. Before I was before I today end of the day, Shawn Michaels number one. Yeah, but then. Brad Hart was my dude. I always believed in him. And again, like we talked about in the Chris Benoit episode available in the archives of wrestling with PTSD. When we came back to the Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle, nobody knew who was going to win this match. And for me, I didn't know who was going to win between Brad Hart and Shawn Michaels. Nope. Not at that time. Because again, there was no such thing as a dirt sheet. So no one knew that Brett was going to disappear for a little bit, you know? Yeah. And, um, so the match went to 60 minutes, and it was it was beautiful. Now, uh, Shawn Michaels was on the top rope, and he tried to do a move, but Bret Hart caught him and put him in the sharpshooter and ha- held him in the sharpshooter for the last 40 seconds until the, the time ran out. Now, that's exactly how the in uh, the 1992 Survivor Series, Bret, same exact move. Shawn Michaels jumped off the top rope. Bret Hart caught him, sharpshooter. Shawn Michaels submitted. Now in the in the um, ninety six uh, was at WrestleMania twelve. Same thing happened, but this time Shawn Michaels held on, and then Vince, I mean not Vince McMahon, Gorilla Monsoon came out and restarted the match. And this pissed Bret Hart off. Yeah, yeah. So uh, sweet chin music one time. Shawn Michaels got himself together. They hit him again and laid him out, and we got the one two three, and the boyhood dream became a reality. And with this, uh, this is where a lot of uh, hatred came between both of them. Yep. Uh, because at the end of this match, uh, Shawn Michaels wanted to celebrate in the ring and Bret Hart was pretty much, you know, selling his injury. Because again, Bret Hart was all about the business and anything that can benefit the business he always wanted to do, you know, especially with like any type of handshakes and stuff like that. Uh, but at this point in time, this is when Shawn Michaels was showing a lot of his true colors 
and told um, Hebner to tell Bret Hart to get the hell out the ring so he can celebrate or get yeah. the fuck out the ring. Something in those. Yeah. Ways. And this is what pretty much uh, set Bret Hart a, a little off because to this day, Shawn Michaels will uh, say he never said that. Uh, but within this documentary, Bret Hart pretty much said, yes, he did say that. So I held back uh, the handshake. Uh, and this is what started a lot of rumors how they hated each other. Yeah, no, actually, this video of him saying it, he says, get the hell out. In the yeah. video, he's like, get the hell out of my ring. There's yeah. a, a video proof of Shawn Michaels saying that. There so. definitely is. I mean, those drugs from Shawn Michaels uh, must have <laughs> definitely threw him off for all the alcohol he was taking. <sighs> because you could definitely yeah, you know, camera doing that. And just with professionalism, that's just that's just wrong, you know. But, you know, with every company, there's competitive rivalry, you know, even in. Even in regular work, there's competitive rivalry. You know, who's the best? They always want, Everybody wants to be the best. I'm the best truck driver, you know, and you got everybody else are the best truck drivers. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And, again, yeah. uh, this is where a lot of the rumors started uh, just with this incident alone uh, because even in the documentary, uh, they said that at certain things that they discussed before this match, like, we want to sell this angle, especially with me going away. I want to have some type of buildup later on so when I come back. So that's why he didn't shake his hand. And that's exactly right. what Bret Hart said. So the disrespect was still there. So that's a, a story that they can tell when Bret Hart is supposed to record this little show of his that he was supposed to have. Yeah. So um, uh, so Bret Hart left, and he didn't he didn't come back until the Survivor Series of '96, where he fought Stone Cold Steve Austin in Madison Square Garden. And that match also it was Shawn Michaels versus Sid for the world title. Now what what bugged me out about this or tripped me out. In that match, it was Shawn Michaels versus Sid, and Shawn, and Sid was the heel. He took the camera and hit Jose Lothario, Shawn Michaels' trainer at the time, in the chest with the uh, with the camera. People were booing Shawn Michaels and loving Sid, even though Sid was doing everything in his power to be the heel. Which was the New York which, was <laughs> which at that time was strange <laughs> because yeah. it was always you boo the heel and it was always you cheer the you know, the, the face, but this was a complete opposite, especially with uh, Sid. I, I just don't understand how Sid was over uh, at the time uh, because he, he was just a different character himself. But uh, this this right here showed that, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels could potentially be a heel. Yeah. So um, 90, what was that, 97 Royal Rumble, Shawn Michaels defeats Sid for the title. Um, and uh, – this is when uh, it was starting to get weird. Like, this was during the time of WCW and and WWF had the Monday Night War. war. So, WW, WCW, excuse me, was going for um, Bret Hart. And uh, he actually used that to his advantage to get a new contract with WWF, which was like a 20-year, $3 million contract. And... um. So what happened, or the original plans, as or so it said, was for WrestleMania 13 was supposed to be Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart Part 2. Now, uh, in February, when Shawn Michaels was the champion, he caught a knee injury, and he surrendered the title. And that's when he, had, he did that infamous promo that he lost his smile, and he's going back home. You know, so that kind of put a monkey wrench in the whole uh, WrestleMania 13, Shawn and Bret Part 2. Well, and then... Good. Uh, also, fun fact about this uh, in the documentary that we were, I was watching, uh, Bret Hart didn't uh, definitely didn't believe that Shawn Michaels was hurt at all. He just said that he didn't want to drop the title, that he was just being Shawn, being Shawn, you know, just want to dealing with the click, you know. Uh, That's so exactly what I heard. 
that yeah, he just didn't want to do business with uh, Brett. So again, that's just another thing that added on to everything with the rumors and all the hatred between each other. That's another thing that added on to this yeah. was this moment right here. So that we uh got it got it to a February pay per view, I believe it's Final Four, if I'm not mistaken. It's the it was the last four of the 1997 Royal Rumble, which Stone Cold Steve Austin won by hook. Uh, he was eliminated and then came back in under the referees not seeing him, and he won that. So it was Vader, Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Bret Hart. And Bret Hart won that match, and he became the new WWF champion. The very next day, he lost the title to Sid. So do uh, interference of Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that set up Psycho Sid versus Undertaker for the main event for the world championship. But that also brought us Bret the Hitman Hart and – Stone Cold Steve Austin in the, one of the most iconic matches. It was an I quit match. And I don't think I ever saw a match where you did a double turn. That was... That worked. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think that could ever be done again to the level that it was done at. It was amazing. What are and your thoughts on that match? That was a, a great match because you had Stone Cold uh, coming up uh, uh, being uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin persona. Uh, you know, the badass. And then you had Bret Hart, who at the time was, again, was being called the crybaby at the time. Uh, and <laughs> this was great because, again, this is another iconic look because when Bret Hart uh, put in his finishing hold, he actually had Stone Cold bleeding profusely. Yeah. And just the the emotion that Stone Cold, uh, like, put forward in that match where you can see and they zoomed in and the, the blood dripping off his face, off his mouth. It, it was great. Off it was coming off his teeth that it looked so great. He was screaming. It was beautiful. It, it, it was one of those uh, things that you can definitely remember, one of those iconic looks. And yeah. uh, he, again, he, he never passed out. So that's what made Stone Cold as well uh, because he never tapped out. He was just that tough. So again, yeah, he passed out. Yeah. And again, uh, Bret Hart loved this because he knew that this was going to help uh, elevate another character so that they, the WWE can have something for the future. So this was something that him and Bret loved. Uh, and uh, this is something again that could continue their rivalry as well because again, Stone Cold never quit. Yeah, and this was actually the seeds that planted what with the Bret Hart's heel turn, and he grew he he formed the Hart Foundation. And yo, let me tell you, I loved the Hart Foundation. I loved it. It was one of the best factions that all of all time. You had Bret Hart, the world champion. You had Owen Hart, the Intercontinental and Tag Team Champion. You had the British Bulldog, who was the, the European champion and tag team champion along with Owen Hart. Then you had Jim D'Anville Nyhart and Brian Pillman, all trained by Stu Hart. That was an iconic team right there. And you had Brett, who led the team, which was pretty much the mouthpiece. And then you have yeah. these, you know, four other big dudes who are pretty much all Hall of Famer. All Hall of Famer. All, all could be just the main event. And they all held the titles at one point in time, which was yeah. freaking awesome. And. <laughs> Uh, what got me was, uh, especially when they used to run, uh, come together, they always had those iconic jackets on, man. The leather, Yo, the oh, leather jacket. Awesome, dude. I would love one of those. To this day, I still want one of those. Those are awesome, bro. Like, when, when they, they all had, like, their names on the back and stuff, it was yeah. great. I like Bulldogs. His was a leather vest because he had to show the guns, you know? Exactly. Like, <laughs> and it, 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 he had to show those guns. And then you had a Brian, a flying crazy pillman. Just yeah. he he was just on a whole nother level. Sadly, they were never really able to use him like that because of injuries and you know his death. Uh, but uh, it was great to have all those men together because they were all fantastic. And again, they were all related some way. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were all uh, Bret Hart. I mean, um, Davy Boy Smith was married to Bret Hart's sister, Diana. Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm not mistaken, Davy Boy Smith was married to Bret Hart's sister. I believe her name is Regina. So it, they were all there was a family affair, you know, and you had own heart. Like it was just such a great time in wrestling, you know. Yeah, and uh, so, that was been back in the day where they had a whole bunch of groups. You remember that? Uh, it was yeah, the Nation of Domination and uh, Los Boricuas. Yeah, remember them? And then they had uh, the Odysseys or the Oddities or whatever they were. Oh well, no, I, okay. At this time, it was the Oddities. Yeah, it was. Uh, they were the Truth Commission. It was yes, Kurgan. The Jap- <laughs> yeah, Kurgan. He was Kurgan the Interrogator. They had Sniper. They had Recon. And then you had DOA, Disciples of Apocalypse. That was Crush's biker gang. Yeah, you remember that? I was thinking about that the other day. I knew Crush was with a group. I couldn't remember yeah. the name, but that was just an off the wall. Yeah. They had a, a lot of matches with LOD. Yeah. So now the all of Crush's Disciples of Apocalypse is they were all ECW al- alumni. So they were the Bruce Brothers in ECW, but they were uh, Skull and A-Ball for uh, – <laughs> yeah. So and then they had primetime Brian Lee as change. So a lot of people don't realize this, but in 1994, in the summertime, it was Undertaker versus Undertaker. Do you remember that match? Yes, uh, the, when he had the mask on, right? No, 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 no. no this was, was it was the purple Undertaker. Yeah, it was purple great, Undertaker yes. versus gray Undertaker. Yes. Now the Million Dollar Man's fake Undertaker was actually primetime Brian Lee, or as we later know him as change. That was him. <laughs> it, it was great because uh, that that match was just a, a so odd, so odd because of wrestling. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, odd is just a, a, another thing, like an understatement. But uh, yeah, that, so that was it one w- of those weird things in wrestling as well. <laughs> so it was just faction warfare at, at that time. So um, there was just a lot of th- stuff going on. Um, so uh, Undertaker became the championship, the, the, the world champion, in at, at WrestleMania. So. Backstage, there was a lot of uh, animosity between Bret Hart and uh, Shawn Michaels. That there was a lot of things. Shawn Michaels was was supposedly had a, a knee injury, but then at one Monday Night Raw, he came out, stood on the top ropes, and and did a backflip off the top ropes to the ring. Exactly, and that's why uh, Bret Hart never believed him. <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of problems with that. Well, so, um, uh, also in that documentary, sorry to cut you off. The uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, after he made that comment where he said he didn't believe him, he said that he remembers that spot and he did that just so he can piss off people. But he said that he <laughs> went to the doctor, quote unquote, and he got a, a, a little doctor's notes, gave it to Vince and said that, you know, he can't wrestle because of this. And uh, again, this is something that Bret Hart just really didn't believe. But uh, who knows if he was injured at that time? Yeah. And, and this is when they were just going back and forth and, it, and they worked themselves into a shoot. They uh for those who don't know what that means, that means that the bickering back and forth, they made it real. Yep. You know, it was, it was supposed to be a uh, a job or a work. They made it into reality, which is shoot. And now that, they'll go good. Uh, I was gonna say this is what what pretty much this is when they started really really hating each other. Like the beef started really uh, yeah. escalating. They were tearing each other up on the microphone. Uh, Brahart was just coming out saying it. Shawn Michaels, you homo. He would say stuff like that. It was crazy, which led to uh, this another comment that is lives forever in infamies. Shawn Michaels one day on on a live Monday Raw said, uh, "Brahart has been living the sunny days 
Oh. Now, for those who don't know, Sunny was like one of the original divas. She was a, a sex spot. A one, bro. Love like now, uh, eh. in 1996, she was the most downloaded person on AOL. Now, what that means <laughs> is, I know that is like, what does that mean? Now, what that means is, in 1996, one picture of of Sunny was downloaded over a million times, and that was a time of Pamela Anderson and Jenny McCarthy. But more people downloaded Sunny than anybody else, hence making her the most downloaded celebrity on AOL. And, and that, that caused a lot of problems right there. Yeah, and at that time, uh, she was hot. Uh, I'm not going to say anything around that. Sunny was hot. Smoking. She was hot. And I don't know about this uh, now, but she, she definitely did a, a, a 360 YouTube uh, on how she looks now compared yeah. to back in the day. Uh, but she was hot. And at yeah. this point in time, uh, a lot of people didn't know that Bret Hart was really good friends with Sonny. But who knows? In my mind, I'm thinking he, yeah. he was probably raw dogging that anyways, just as much as Shawn Michaels was. But um, yeah. this pretty much caused a controversy. And a lot of people say the reason why Shawn Michaels made this uh, comment, Sunny Days, is because Bret Hart was sleeping with Sonny when – in all retrospect, Bret Hart said that Sean was the one sleeping with her, but who knows? Well, in Sonny's book, she details her relationship with Shawn Michaels. She get in, she gets into details of the relationship and sexual exploits, which you can find on Amazon. Um, I don't know the title right now. Uh, I believe it's Sonny, the first diva of wrestling or something like that. You can find it on Amazon.com, but she chronicles all the, the, the times, the life and times of her and Shawn Michaels' relationship, but Leave that behind. That Sunny Day's comment actually led to a, a real life, a real life uh, fist fight between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart backstage before Monday Night Raw. And now, Bret, uh, Bret Hart actually yanked a lock of Shawn Michaels' hair out. That um, it's funny because the story I heard is later on in the after the fight, Shawn Michaels came in with a uh, with his hair and slammed <laughs> it on. He he, bur he bursted into. Vince McMahon's office and slammed the, the, the hair on the table talking about how this is an unsafe working condition. Yes. Now, Jerry Lawler, being the opportunist that he is that I heard, he grabbed the hair and put it in a Ziploc bag and sold it. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, uh, I, I forget who else was there because there is a, an episode of Vice which uh, talks about this moment as well, the whole Montreal school job. Uh, another great okay. watch that you can watch uh, where I, I believe it was Jim Cornette. He said when Shawn Michaels broke through the door when uh, Cornette and Vince were talking, he was so pissed off, and he threw this piece of hair on the table. They said it was the size of, a, like, a small possum or, like, a small wow. raccoon. Yes. And he said, this is, he said that Shawn Michaels went wild, said this is uh, uh, a place where I can work on... Yeah, uh, safe working conditions. Yeah, safe unworking yeah. conditions. And he just stormed out, and Vince pretty much was like, what the hell is going on? And there was, like, everyone <laughs> was commotion out in the hallways. He was hearing stories left and right uh, of what was going on. And this uh, pretty much was uh, a, a turning point, maybe, for Brett's career. Now, this led up to a lot of animosity that was spilling on stage. Now, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, uh, they had a segment on Raw. And this was when Bret Hart went out for knee surgery and he was in a wheelchair. Now, on Raw, Shawn Michaels was supposed to super kick Bret Hart out of his chair, but in order to um for that to happen, Bret Hart was supposed to say a line that triggered uh Shawn Michaels to super kick him. Bret Hart never said the line on, on air, and what happened was they went off air 
and they missed the whole super kick. Now, I don't know if Bret Hart did this on purpose or if it was an accident, but the super kick was never seen. And there was a lot that just stirred a lot of controversy. It was said that Bret Hart did that to bring Shawn Michaels down a peg. What are your thoughts on that? Um, that's, I mean, uh, honestly, I would definitely believe that because both at this point in time, this is when both men were at their top pettiness level. So yeah, I, I, I would definitely, maybe, uh, it, it was because of jealousy or something like that, but wasn't there at one point in time where Shawn Michaels super kicked Brett off the, out of his wheelchair? Yeah, that was that, that was that night. They had to show it the very next week. Oh, okay. I was like, like hold on. Uh, I, yeah. I believe I remember this at one point in time, but it was definitely yeah. probably never, the next week because, uh, when I just recently seen it again, when I seen that super kick, it was beautiful. It was right mm-hmm. on his chin, which, which yeah. as a fan, that would have been great to see it live, not that whole next week. But, geez, that was such a beautiful super kick. And w- with the line he said, it would have definitely set up a lot a lot more than the very next week if they would have just filmed it. Yeah, so, but I don't know if it was, like I said, Bernhardt's pettiness or he just missed the, the cues that were going off the air. So, um, this actually was bringing up uh, a setting up a match between The Undertaker and Bret Hart at this 1997 SummerSlam for the world title. And somewhere in between, Shawn Michaels was inserted as the special guest referee for that match. Oh, his little boy shorts. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So um, at, at, at SummerSlam of 97, um, that was the, the infamous uh, pay-per-view where Steve Austin broke his neck with Owen Hart in a oh. intercontinental title match. Um, which, that was really bad. Yes, which is why the – Pal driver is pretty much banned from wrestling. Yeah, shortened his career and everything. So, but in the match of uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, I mean, excuse me, Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker, it got to the point where Bret Hart got a steel chair and was about to hit the Undertaker with it. So Shawn Michaels snatched the chair out of his hands. Bret Hart looked at Shawn Michaels' face and shot and spit the biggest loogie I have ever seen in somebody's face. And Shawn Michaels got so mad that he swung the chair at Bret Hart and he hit the Undertaker with it. Laying, laying, laying the taker out, Bret Hart pinned the taker, and, and the rest of history, Bret Hart became a five-time WWF champion. Now let's go back to that loogie that, Shawn Mike, uh, that Bret Hart spit at Shawn Michaels. That loogie was so bad, that was like a Lex loogie. Uh, That's how big it was. Dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> working or not professional wrestling, you spit in my face, we're throwing hands, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. And with that big, like that, not only did it land on his face, didn't it land on his lip, his nose? Oh. Yeah, and it was the big, oh, it was disgusting. You know, Brett loved that. Oh, he did. And not only did he, you know, if you if you look at the camera angle, you can see Brett take a nice deep, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It up. Oh. Okay. So, um, so Bret Hart resigned with the WWF for for three year for twenty years three million dollars. So in the October of nineteen ninety seven, Vince McMahon said that he can't afford to pay that he can't afford to honor that contract. So he tried to offer Bret Hart less money. Bret Hart declined that, and then Vince McMahon said, "I'll help you get a deal with uh, WCW." So Bret Hart signed with WCW, and. Uh, this is what was leading up to it. Bret Hart was champion, and now we're leading up to nineteen uh, November 9th, 1997, the Survivor Series. And this is what is known as Montreal. the infamous Montreal 
Montreal screw job. Okay. So leading up to this, what do you remember about the buildup? Uh, it was great. Uh, because again, this is one point in time where a lot of things weren't known because the internet wasn't available at the time. Uh, but the, the buildup was great. Even I remember, uh, the buildup for the beginning of the show where it just talked about, you know, the past meets present, uh, uh, you know, David versus Goliath type talk, you know, they're always trying to build yeah. up. It was great. And, uh, again, we knew what these guys were capable of, uh, but, we didn't know how it was going to end because, again, wrestling back then, the way it was built up, no one knew how it was going to end. Like, I think a lot of people knew that Brett was at this point in time where he was going to sign with WCW because it wasn't even told at that point in time. Um, yeah, uh, and the pay-per-view, you hear JR say um, a lot of people are speculating that if Bret Hart loses this match, he's done with WWF. Which, which build it up. That commentary, those simple lines where they just kept on talking about yes. it, build suspense for the match. And yes. uh, just uh, the talk, because uh, also I forgot to, to mention, or we forgot to mention, that Bret Hart is the reason why Degeneration X exists. He, he said, Shawn Michaels, you little degenerate. So Shawn Michaels said, Bret Hart, you always calling me a degenerate. And Generation X has a bad rap. So you know what? You could enable us D-Generation X. And we're going to talk about that other team another time. But how about this original DX, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, and Rick Rude? How awesome were they? Uh, they, they were great. Uh, because Shawn, uh, you had Shawn Michaels, who was pretty much the mouthpiece. You had Triple H, who was pretty much his best friend. And then you had this mystique of China where she was huge. Not only can she beat up the divas at the time, but she would give it to the full-grown men there, and she would definitely whoop your ass. And it was believable yeah, because yeah. how she looked. And then you had the living legend, Rick, there, Rick Rude, just sitting there, always having a briefcase with his little smug look, his little suit on. Like, it couldn't get no better than that. Like, he only talked maybe, I don't know how many times, a handful of times, but when he did, it was like, oh, shit, that's Rick Rude. <laughs> yeah, he was, the, he was called the insurance policy. Exactly. And for another time, uh, he was actually the first person to show up on Raw and WCW in the same night. Remember that? Same night. <laughs> I, do. I do. Now, during this time, Bret Hart didn't want to lose his uh, title in Canada for some reason. Uh, which I always, for me, it always sounded petty. Like, it's like you have a, a, an American wrestler and they're like, hey, I don't want to lose my title in the, my country of America. I can't lose it in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, that, that always sounded really like petty to me. He was in Montreal. He wasn't in Calgary, Alberta, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the thing was, uh, which a, a lot of people don't know either, is that Bret Hart had a lot of control. Of his, I think his last 60 days with the company that he pretty much had all full control of his character. So right. that, that's pretty much why this all started, because Bret didn't want to drop the title. Um, now, this was... Um, uh, this was when uh, Brahart didn't want to drop the title, and he said he was the next day he's gonna, he was going to relinquish the title on Raw, but he wouldn't have been under contract the next day. Mm-hmm. Now, now, if you remember, three years prior, Alundra Blaze, Alundra Blaze was the WWF Women's Champion, and I don't know if they forgot about her contract, but it ran out, and she <laughs> went on Monday Nitro. She kept the title, and she went on Monday Nitro, and what did she do? She threw the title in the garbage. And now <laughs> that was huge. That was huge at the time. That was a big shot uh, that went right. towards because not. I'm just, I'm just curious. 
how does that work? Like, how do you have someone who has your biggest title and then their contract expires? Like, how does that happen? Because uh, well, see, back in then, uh, the women's division wasn't looked at like it's looked at today. You get what I'm saying? But even uh, sorry to get off topic, but even in the future, because remember, it happened with Double J Jeff Jarrett when he had the title. Oh yeah, the Intercontinental Championship, and he had the 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 good house cleaping match or the good housekeepers yes. match with China. And he yeah. got his ass whooped, but I mean, he got paid for it. He got he paid. got paid like tremendously. He got he paid. He held the title for ransom, and he got paid so much for it. Who the hell? He didn't even care what the hell how he got handed out the door, which which, yeah, so which that... I'm so confused about. How can that happen, especially when they have the title? It, it just confused me a lot at that time. Yeah. But I know they weren't paying attention to Alundra Bray, Alundra Blaze, or Jeff Jarrett, but they were paying attention to the world title. Mm-hmm. And uh, unpopular opinion, I could see why Vince McMahon would do something like that. He can't have his biggest title going to uh, WCW and have it be thrown in the garbage. You know? Yeah, I, I truly understand. I, I respect the way that that it went around. Again, this was just Brett didn't want to drop the title. And again, watching that uh, documentary, Brett said he had no problem dropping it the next night. Or just dropping in general, he just felt very disrespected by Shawn Michaels, the way he would carry himself, how he would only work with his click partners, as well as right. uh, he thought he was too immature. And he didn't right. want to leave WWE with someone who wasn't responsible enough. And again, this is Bret Hart being Bret Hart, because Bret Hart was all about the business. Yeah, but uh, if he was all about the business, he should have done better, because Macho Man always said it, and I quote, you win them in the ring, and you lose them in the ring. And there's a time-honored tradition of when you're leaving the company, you always go out on, on your back. back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I don't know why Brett's ego got in front of his him doing business, you know? Now, the original plan was for it was for um, uh, Shawn Michaels to put Bret Hart in the sharpshooter, and then he reverses it. The Hart Foundation come out, and then the, the uh, Degeneration X come out, and they all fight, and it turns into a big schmoz. And it's a double DQ. That's what was the plan going in that Bret Hart knew about it. Mm-hmm. So, prime time, what actually happened? Uh, uh, well, number one, a great match happened. Don't get me wrong. Up to that point, that was a very great match. Uh, another back and forth match between the guys. Uh, but what happened was uh, Shawn Michaels uh, put Bret Hart into the sharpshooter. Uh, and then at that point in time, Bret was, you know, you know, it just selling the move and then as soon as something was about to happen you look in the corner Brett is, I'm sorry Vince McMahon is yelling at the timekeeper to ring the damn bell and that's when yeah. everything breaks out and you see ring the bell damn it ring the damn bell and then you see Hebner going all crazy trying to ring the bell and then he runs out the ring which we will talk yeah. about a little later as well <laughs> yeah now see if you actually watch it um, right before he's told to ring the bell Bret Hart's reversing the sharpshooter and when the bell rings you can see it in Bret Hart's face that he knows that he'd been screwed. Exactly. And Shawn Michaels had the face of what the hell's going on. In yeah. retrospect, he exactly knew what was going on. Yeah, but he had to play it up like he didn't know, know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then and again, we're talking about these killer loogies that Bret Hart be yeah. spitting. <laughs> he looked Vince McMahon right in the eye and spit another loogie right in his face. And which was, and don't get me wrong, uh, it was for the time, I, I, I thought they didn't know that this. I thought it was real. I thought this was something that was c- continuing. And then you saw Brett the Hitman Hart just start writing WCW in the air. 
Yeah, yeah, no, Brohart flipped out. He uh he destroyed all the TV monitors around the ring. He was spazzing out. He rolled WCW in the ring, but this was after Survivor Series went off the air. And uh you could see it like later on when they show show like show clips and snippets of it. But Brohart was pissed off. Now, there's a documentary called Wrestling with Shadows and it shows the aftermath of everything. I recommend you go see it if yes. you haven't seen it yet. Very good documentary. Avail- available on uh Amazon as well. Now, and backstage, uh, Bret Hart was taking a shower, and Vince McMahon came in and tried to talk to Bret Hart of it. And Bret Hart said, "If you're still here when I get out the shower, I'm gonna knock you out." <laughs> so, Vince, so Vince McMahon told Shane McMahon and and Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, you know, get out. I handle this. So Bret Hart got out the shower. Uh, he dried himself off, got dressed, looked at Vince McMahon. And knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> and he said when he hit him dead, in, it was like an uppercut. He said when he hit him, this snake land flew back in the air and landed dead right on his ass and walked right out. I mean, I give it for Vince to, for taking a punch, but yeah, uh, he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, he knew. Brett told him, and even in uh, reading that, uh, watching that documentary, uh, they even Brett said in his head, like, "Damn, this is a, I'm about to punch this guy. This is what twenty years down the drain." That that yeah. I'm about to hit Vince McMahon, and then when he hit him, he said he felt satisfied. Yeah, and uh, in the wrestling with shadows, they showed Vince McMahon walking out the 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 dressing room limping, like he was jacked up. Yeah. You know, he had a a, a black eye. Um, a couple weeks later, yeah, uh, a couple weeks later is when uh, Vince McMahon gave gave the infamous Brett screwed Brett interview, which. Is what built the Vince McMahon the character. Sure. Yes. Oh man, and and this it's gonna be another podcast on another time. Now, uh, but that was the greatest time, the Mr. McMahon character. I loved it. But stick. Go ahead. What are you I saying? Say also, a lot of people at this time did not know that Vince owned the company. He he was only known as being an announcer. Yeah. So when we all found yeah. out that you know, oh shit, like he owns the company, this was something big. Uh, and when. This all went down uh, even afterwards. Uh, a lot of people didn't know when the wrestling was shadows. Uh, he was mic'd up the whole time, so they caught everything. Uh, from yeah. the ring all the way to the back with conversations with Vince, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Like, they, they, they have everything mic'd up, so they know exactly what went on. Uh, but quick question, uh, since we are talking about the wrestling with shadows DVD, how would you have felt sitting there getting scolded by Brett the Hitman Hart's wife if you were Triple H? <laughs> yeah, like I, I would have done exactly what what Triple H did. I would have been professional. I don't know anything. I don't. I don't. I would have if I was if I was in that position and I was, I was being loyal to the company. I would have done the same exact thing. Honestly, yeah, I definitely would, especially with uh, Brett not want to do business again. This is yeah. something that could have all been avoided, but again, it's just egos that pretty much yeah. started this and ended it. All right, so what are your thoughts on this? Uh, okay, now, okay, you're Bret Hart, and this is what is going on. This is your last match. What would you have done in that position? I mean, I know I have my own ego. If I already sold on going to WCW, why the hell do I care what another company is doing at that time? I right. know. So do you think Bret Hart was pretty for doing this or not? Uh, yes, as much as I, I see him, like, damn, like, that's one of my favorite wrestlers, like someone I do idolize and stuff like that. What like come on, dude? You like this all could have bought it, but if this did not go down like it so like like it did, wrestling would have been completely different anyway. So I gotta be thankful for it, right? 
Right, right, right. So, uh, so it, it all depends on uh, how you feel, but I definitely think that uh, the egos things got ahead of both of them. And definitely, if if I'm gonna do business, especially with a multi million dollar company, I'm, you know, the rules of wrestling. You go down on your back. You know, put on yeah, a, always put on an awesome match. Make the guy look like a million bucks. Go on. You're going to WCW, and again, that's another podcast because they did absolutely nothing with Brett, but. What do you care? You're going to another company. <laughs> right. A company that was number one at the time on top of exactly. it. Exactly. And you're getting paid three times more than what you're getting paid at WWE anyways. And he threw a contract at You didn't like the contract. They wanted to take the belt right. off you. They would have took off the belt off you. Okay, well, maybe you would have went on to the Intercontinental title. But at that point yeah. in time, he thought he was above it. So now what about like if you think about it the attitude error came after this can you imagine bret hart in the attitude error in wwe uh that would that would have been amazing it because that was at that point in time because when he first started he was a true baby face eat your vitamins you know all that stuff like hogan does but <laughs> this is when bret hart was pretty much becoming a full-grown heel at the time can you imagine great can heel. you imagine if they would have just kept this going like if he would have signed the contract, he would have had the match. That could have been the next couple pay-per-views, a uh, couple of years of writing right there. Just a story about, I mean, uh, uh, Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon right there. But again, if that exactly. didn't happen, we probably would have never got Stone Cold versus Vince. Yeah, but also, can you imagine Stone Cold being the man he is and still going, like, uh, having a program with Bret Hart? You know, like Bret Hart being the anti-American heel. I think that fit him very did, well, you did, know? Especially for being from Canada. That was great for him. Yeah. Because so, um, uh, I don't know if, if you remember, uh, there was a, a match between the Hart Foundation versus, I think it was Stone Cold, uh, the Patriot. Yeah, it was. that was the, the in-your-house Calgary Stampede. It was Stone Cold, Steve Austin, the Legion yes. of Doom. Goldust and the Patriot against the Heart yeah. Foundation. That was that was one of the most iconic uh, pay per views. And one thing I remember about that pay per view, this was happening in Calgary. The crowd was going so crazy that the hard cam was yes. shaking. I always remember that. I remember and, that. And again, those are one of those matches where who the hell cared who won because the great and the atmosphere was so freaking great and. Oh, sadly, uh, it had to go the way it did. But again, if the Montreal school job never happened, we definitely want to have wrestling like it is today. You know what? I want to correct myself. The Patriot was supposed to be in that match, but then he was replaced by Ken Shamrock. And that's what led up to the SummerSlam. The SummerSlam of 97, it was uh, Shamrock against the Bulldogs, Steve Austin against um, Owen Hart, Brian Pillman against Goldust. So that's what led, led up to it. Oh, man. I really thought uh, instead of the Patriot, I was about to say Ahmed Johnson. Man, what happened? No. <laughs> oh, man. That's another time, and that's somebody we don't want to speak of, Ahmed Johnson. He was the worst. <laughs> I was just like, man, Ahmed Johnson. Wasn't he in the match or not? But he was horrible, too. Nah. Man. He was just big for nothing. Big for nothing. And he always wore his knee pads on his thighs, which yeah, I, never I never understood. I never understood that either, which was weird. Speaking of never understood it, standing him, his promos, you can never understand yeah, him. Yeah, that was definitely true. He was always hyped. He was like one of those ultimate warrior type characters where you'd be like, what the hell? Yeah. Hey, don't you dare disparage the good name of the <laughs> ultimate warrior with Amit <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But sometimes he would just ramble on and be like, what the hell's going on? And so, same category at, at yeah. one point of time. <laughs>
And that's the three count. And this is the end of the Montreal school job with wrestling with PTSD. So make sure you join us next week on wrestling with PTSD, where we'll be discussing who primetime Latino heat, the man, the myth, the legend, Eddie Guerrero, one of my favorite wrestlers, top number one wrestler. Yes, sir. So make sure you tune in next week, Sunday night at eight o'clock for an episode of Eddie Guerrero. Now, moving on, okay, uh, off the topic, we're going to be talking about WrestleMania. Part one. What number is this? Part one. Part part one. um, We're going through this coronavirus. So it was no fans in the audience. What are your thoughts on on it? How did you enjoy part one? Uh, Well, first, I just want to thank, like, the professional wrestlers that are doing everything you can to pretty much entertain us. But, man, it was so hard to watch without a freaking crowd. Like, WrestleMania, not only is it where you get some of the greatest matches, but you get some of the greatest entrants and you get the best fans. And The best. And I, I, I'm on social media a lot, especially talking about wrestling and stuff like that. And I'm always hype about WrestleMania. Like, I take maybe, like, two weeks, and I wear a wrestling shirt for those two weeks. Like, I wear a different wrestling shirt every day. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't even do that. Maybe I wore like maybe two or three T-shirts, maybe wrestling T-shirts, and it just didn't have the same feel, you know? Uh, some of these matches, I don't know. The first match that started off was the Kabuki Warriors versus uh, uh, Nikki, Nikki Cross and uh, uh, Alexa Bliss. Don't get me wrong. They are eye candy, but I don't know. I, I think I'm just over the Kabuki Warriors being together, maybe just break up. Like, I remember Asuka used to be this force where – she would kick everyone's ass. Now she's pretty much jobbing to everybody now. Honestly, I'm not a, a fan of the women's tag team division unless they're actual tag teams. I don't like the idea of just slapping two wrestlers together yeah. and making them a tag team. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, and uh, and one thing I, I, I love about professional wrestling is, you know, you get the, the them, not only do you get them together, but where you get the outfits. You know, you get the same attire for each person. Yeah. And they've been together for how long now? And... Nothing. No, they, they, I think they just updated their entrance music the other day. And like, how long has this been, team been together? And I feel like this this match was a little flat. Uh, the match after that, uh, like I said, this WrestleMania was just out of whack. I don't even know which one of the other matches was. Um, but definitely the only matches that really stand out for the whole WrestleMania, this this part one anyways, uh, would have to be the, the Seth Rollins and um, KO. KO match. That was great. That spot off the WrestleMania sign was great. That was um, yeah, Kevin Owens working his ass off. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to Kevin Owens. He's doing phenomenal. You know, he's he's great. Uh, it was a great spot. And another shout out, especially if you're going to give it to Kevin Owens, I am going to say Seth Rollins because this man, when he came out looking like his little Jesus robe and his hair in there, that had me. I texted you right away. And I was like, this Seth Rollins thing is great, and I, I loved it. Uh, the match, it was Monday Night Messiah. Yeah, Monday Night Messiah. It was great. I love how he's building up that character. It's sadly that. Uh, I, I would have loved to see his entrance, especially with him just wearing that outfit, how it would have been. Uh, but it- He needs a new entrance music with that. Uh, he needs a new entrance, a new, like, lighting, like, that whole burn it down. That was him being the Beast Slayer, but him being this persona, I, I feel like it does not fit him. No, not anymore, especially with him being a mega heel, as well as I love his new outfit, you know, where he has, like, the whole one glove and, like, the black coat. I uh, feel like yeah. uh, he's a typical heel because heels always wear black. That's what it is. Yeah. And he, he's always gold on the mic, but having these two 
finally get together, especially see what they were capable of, like in Ring of Honor, seeing them hell of a matches there. I knew that this was going to be great, and that that it was a different match because again, with no crowd there, they can just sit there and talk shit to each other the whole time, which yeah. was great. I, I was always a fan of the corporate uh, Seth Rollins with the J and J security. Oh, that that was. That was my favorite uh, Seth Rollins oh, right I there. I loved it because he was a heel, tried to get away with it, uh, tried to get with everything, and then you had the two little meat bags who always got their asses whooped. <laughs> it was great. And to see them get tossed around was great as well because uh, they were, you know, at one point in time, uh, professional wrestlers, so they knew how to take spots and make it look yeah. Joey Mercury and uh, Jamie Noble. Was Jamie, Noble. Jamie Noble. With him. Him and Nidia. Remember Nidia? Yeah, Nidia. You remember? She, she was pretty hot back then, too. Yo, she was hot. And um, uh, corporate Kane, like I, he added a good dynamic to it. Yeah, uh, that that was great. Uh, he had that, and then Randy Orton came in for a little bit. You know, they had uh, Triple H and stuff. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, that was probably my second favorite match of the night. Uh, you had the ladder match, which was it was decent, which really didn't make no sense to me because you have a tag team match with only three people. And yeah, uh, what was up with that? Uh, right there? Uh, from what I heard, the Miz got sick. Uh, got some type of case of the corona, uh, so oh, that's man. why a lot of people like Roman Reigns uh, got got out of the uh, out of WrestleMania because he didn't want to get sick. Uh, but yeah, with his, his immune system is down because he is bout with uh, what was it leukemia? Yeah, leukemia so. Yeah, uh, but there was a lot of great spots in here. Uh, Johnny Morrison being Johnny Morrison because he's that dude uh, doing a lot of his the human highlight reel. Yeah, doing a lot of his parkour thing. That Spanish fly was nice. Uh, uh, let's see. The Braun. What are your thoughts on the ending of it? When we fell off the, t- the fell off the ladder and landed on the other ladder. It was great. Uh, it was great. Uh, honestly, uh, it was for. I mean, again, it's it is WrestleMania, and they're working with such a s- small capacity, and not really much to go with because the crowd's not there. It was good, uh, especially the ending. I mean, it's obviously it's not going to be over because I mean the way it was. Uh, he snatched the belts and he he fell off was pretty cool. Uh, right. We're gonna talk about Braun Strowman and Goldberg. What a atrocity match that was. Uh, what did I, I remember? I texted you. I said that was like when me and my son played WWE 2K and we have infinite finishers on, because that match was consisted of nothing but finishers and one kick to the stomach and a botch finish. Um, a botch. It, it it was it was a typical Goldberg match, but he lost pretty much. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, Braun Strowman broke his hip on that last power yeah, slam. He he definitely landed awkwardly on that one. But again, yeah. we were discussing this our pre-recorded meeting, um, pre-production meeting. Sorry, uh, I just feel like he's a title holder. Like he's just gonna be there until this passes over, and then he's gonna lose it. He's just gonna lose it to Roman. This is yeah, all. He's a he's a, place, a placeholder, Man, you know. He, but you know what? In my opinion, he deserved it. He deserved that moment, you know, because Braun Strowman put. Puts a lot of work in, and a lot of people don't like him. I love Braun oh, Strowman, you know. Don't get me wrong; like, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm pretty excited that he won this match because now we know that he is going to have a match for Roman. And if you remember, right. these two had a hell of a fucking uh, uh, rivalry. Program. Yeah, exactly. For yeah. last, oh, uh, what it was like a three month program, and everything yeah. they did was great. So yeah, uh, Braun Strowman was great. I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, that's when he started. You're gonna get these hands type stuff, you know. Yeah. It, it, it was great. Like they always have great chemistry. So if we can get that out of this, that'd be great. But again, it really yeah. sucks because Braun Strowman won on a WrestleMania where there was nobody there. Um, let's see. And then moving on to the uh, uh, Undertaker versus AJ Styles. Truth be told. I uh I wake up early, so when this match came on, it was past my bedtime, and I fell asleep. So I did not see this match. So you give your analyst on this match. Wow. Um, 
this 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 match it was special uh because a lot of people are saying this is going to be the undertaker's last match but don't get me wrong these two guys put on a hell of a show uh it was pretty much like a mini movie there was a lot of cheesiness uh if you ever seen uh matt hardy and jeff hardy do the ultimate deletion it had some similarities to that but not as much cheesiness and like the funniness that came with the deletion uh production stuff it some of it was a little choppy but it was good for what it was and uh, i'm not gonna lie uh undertaker you when you put the undertaker and aj you you put these names together you're thinking no matter what they're gonna have a good match i mean it went for what it was and what we were what we have to go through right now it was something to watch uh don't get me wrong it's not like his top 10 best match but it was something to end the night because all in all, I would give the whole WrestleMania. I think, honestly, it should have been canceled because a lot of these matches uh, are just going to be horrible. And I can only think that what the second night is going to consist of. Uh, but to end it off with this, I mean, I would give it maybe like a B minus. Well, you know, like a lot of people say, and I know a lot of people agree with you, it should have been canceled. But I, I appreciate them not canceling it and showing it because, you know, the show must go on, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken... Undertaker, wasn't he a, a, a combination of every character he played uh, all in one? I loved it. That's one thing I forgot to mention. Like, his outfit was great. Uh, it was a mixture of the ministry, a uh, mixture with uh, the badass persona. And what got me about the, the whole Bourne Yard match, because I didn't know what the hell this was. So it was pretty much just a giant, <laughs> a giant street fight in a cemetery, pretty much. Um, so it was a street fight mixed with the Buried Alive match, basically. Pretty much. That's exactly what you can say. Uh, and... The what made this awesome was it was something new that was something new for the Undertaker, but what made it was he was just talking shit the whole time he was kicking AJ Styles' ass. And if you go back to the archives of Wrestling with PTSD and Chris Benoit, episode one, you would know that the American Badass was my favorite character. Yes, he I love definitely did mention that. And honestly, uh, for it was probably one of the Undertakers, maybe my second favorite under the ministry, uh, but. Just this character would just probably go right under the ministry because of what he was just doing. And it was great to see The Undertaker participate in something so cheesy, but yet it was so good, you know? Right. <laughs> so he, you could definitely tell that he was taking it serious, but he wasn't taking it serious at the same time because there was a lot of off-the-wall things about this. Right. So... um so that's our show today. So I hope you enjoyed it. And again, as uh, Prime Time stated, next week, be sure to look out for the episode of Eddie Guerrero. And um, that's a wrap right now. So uh, he's Prime Time. He's Sonny D. Thank you for listening to Wrestling with PTSD. PTSD. Have a great day, guys.